Hebrews 13, so for those of you who were here last week, or if you weren't, you got it online, we, we talked about adversity, and we talked about how certain adversity is, how it doesn't discriminate, it's not an elective in life, I don't care who you are, what you have, none of us are going to escape adversity, none of us are, <laughs> right, that's how that works, and so it is certain. We talked about adversity meaning tightness. You're going to find yourself, you know, I know our class, I know by now, all of us have found ourselves in a tight situation. Adversity is certain in our lives, and it is as certain in the lives of the people that are in and around our lives. That's the reality. And that's just to name a few. Our focus today, though, is what is our response to that? How do we respond to those who are in and around our lives who are in seasons of adversity? We do have a responsibility to them in those times. So we're going to trust God to unpack that for us from Hebrews 13. But particularly, we are really looking at this from the perspective of what is our responsibility to one another in Christ? Because we do have a responsibility to bear our burdens together. So if you haven't, be turning to Hebrews 13. As many of you in this room already know, there has been and will always be great debate regarding the author of the book of Hebrews. And I can settle it for you right now, 100%. The author of the book of Hebrews was the Holy Ghost. Right, good with that? <laughs> All right, how about that? I get it. That's not, so, that's not sufficient for some, so that's okay. I'll agree with you there, but after that, the question becomes, okay, who did he use to write it? That's the question, right? So this will be very, very high level. What you should know is that only a few decades after the apostles died, it was generally accepted that the Apostle Paul was the human author of the book, okay? A British scholar by the name of Adam Clark, many of you may be familiar with his commentary. He was a British scholar in the 1700s, but he listed by name roughly 80 men, councils, and groups between the 2nd and the 11th century that believed that the Apostle Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. I mean, it was very, that was widely accepted in the early church. There was not much debate about it. That has come over time. But even in this chapter that we find ourselves in right now, chapter 13, if you look in verse 23, you'll find a direct reference to the name of Timothy. And then the question becomes from there, when you think about how often Paul referenced Timothy in his writings, the question becomes, what other apostle would have referenced Timothy so directly in an epistle? So there is great circumstantial evidence to support for Paul being the author of the book of Hebrews. Matter of fact, as you're reading through the book, if you have, one of the things that you'll notice is you'll find very Pauline-like phrases. Like, man, that sounds consistent, or that sounds familiar, and, and all of that. And that's just to name a few. And by the way, I, if you ask me, I do believe that Paul was the human author of the book, but we don't have to fight about that. That's just based on the circumstantial evidence. I do believe that 
there's great support for that. But when you look in chapter 10 and verse 34, it is obvious that these Hebrew believers were experiencing some adversity, some persecution for their faith. And from our main text today in verse 3, that is only reinforced. Would you look at it? Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Now, one thing we do know for sure is we know that Hebrews was written before 70 AD, which is when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And the reason we know that is because in the book of Hebrews, we know the temple was still being used. So it had to be before 70 AD. And many attribute the, surf the sufferings and persecutions that we find in the book, they tie it to the persecutions that came against Christians under the wicked Roman emperor Nero. Many of you are familiar with him. He was diabolical, putting it nicely. He was the emperor when Paul was a prisoner at Rome when he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, which we're going through, and Philemon. So just to give you some context there. But in July of 64 AD, many of you are familiar historically with the great fire of Rome that broke out and lasted six days. And to this day, many historians really believe that Nero set that fire intentionally. But what happened after that is what really gets our attention because what he did, Nero, was he blamed Christians for the fire, which prompted great persecution against the church. Torture and murder, many believers were. One historian described those persecutions this way, and I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to listen very carefully as a believer in 2021 in the United States of America. When we're in this focus, this mini focus now about adversity, I want you to listen to how one historian described the atrocities that came against the church after Nero blamed Christians for the great fire. He wrote, covered with the skins of beasts, Christians were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to severe, I'm sorry, to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. And what are your problems again? What are your challenges? I know for sure, historically, that there were parents who witnessed their children suffer like that. And I'm sorry, what, what, what is it that you're finding to be so challenging and so difficult today? I don't mean to be offensive or nasty, but if I can say this as graciously as I can, we're so soft. As American believers, we are so soft. And we worship and we bow at the altar of comfort and convenience. If it's not comfortable, if it's not convenient, if it's not ideal, if it's not to my liking, I'm out. 
We despise adversity. We despise hardship. Somehow, we just when it, when it surfaces in our lives, we instantly become victims. And that's a byproduct of our culture that says anything difficult, anything hard, well, God's not being fair or loving. Someone has victimized you. I wonder who Jesus had to blame for his life. Or the Apostle Paul, even. The things he endured. Whatever it's worth, Nero committed suicide in AD 68 at the age of 30. So that gives you some insight into who he was. But the fact that verse 3, if you look at it again, says, remember them, plural, would suggest widespread persecution against believers. As you look at that, those that were to be remembered were those who would have been in bonds for righteousness' sake. Again, your reference there is 1 Peter 3, verses 14 and 17. Now, that's not to say that we cannot and should not pray for those who are suffering or struggling because of their own disobedience. God uses that too. And we should be praying to that end. If someone is suffering because they are reaping what they've sown, well, God, what a great opportunity for you to get their attention, for you to grab their heart and see them turn their attention to you and see them repent. And get right. Man, that's how we should pray. Nothing wrong with that. But when Paul said remember them, he was calling on them to pray for those who were in bonds. Consider 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. So our first responsibility to believers in and around our lives who are suffering, who are going through hardship, who are and seasons of adversity is this. We have a responsibility to intercede for others in adversity. It's our responsibility to intercede for them. Obviously, this refers to intercessory prayer, which is seeking God on behalf of others. So when we are notified that someone is in a hard spot, going through a rough time, uh, something difficult, this is our first response is that we intercede for them. We go to God on their behalf. The story is told about <clears throat> a European seminary professor and his wife during World War II. They escaped Europe and headed for the United States. And students grew to love them, loved his teaching in the seminary and really appreciated how much he cherished and loved his wife. They would speak about how they would see them walking around the seminary campus, holding hands and, and just adoring one another. But his wife unexpectedly died, and this led the professor to land in a pit of sorrow and despair. 
The president of the seminary and three of his friends began visiting him to encourage him, but he would eventually say this to them all. I am no longer able to pray to God. In fact, I am not certain I believe in God anymore. The day of adversity can do this. It can push you to the brink of your faith. It can test the strength. It can test the armor of your faith. I don't care who you are or who you think you are. There are times and there are seasons in life when the lights go out and things get so dark that you say, God, are you there? You've been there? I have. Are you there? How about John the Baptist when he's in prison and he's saying, hey, is is Jesus really the Messiah or should we be looking for somebody else? That can happen. The seminary president responded, then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. So in the following weeks, the four men met daily to pray with the professor, asking God to help him experience God's presence, grace, and healing. Months later, as the four men gathered again in the professor's living room, he greeted them with something he had not done in a long time. He greeted them with a smile. Something's changed. And here's what he said to them. He said, it is no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Instead, I would like to pray. I would like you to pray with me. See, there are seasons where a believer can be so immersed in depression and discouragement that we have to carry them in prayer. They're weak. They're discouraged. Remember back in the Old Testament when they lifted up Moses' hands? (laughs) Those times are real. What a comfort to know that people are praying for us when we're down. What a comfort to know. Our family felt that comfort recently, and man, we thank you. We knew that you were praying for us. But could you, can you imagine, can you imagine what, it, what it's like for Paul Fife when there's mail distribution? Can you imagine what it's like for him to get five letters? Can you imagine? To know that he's on your heart. To know that he's in your prayers. To know that you took time to write him and encourage him. Can you imagine? You're helping to carry him. It's our responsibility. If you're not a part of the Life Fellowship WhatsApp, you got to see Carla. Where's Carla? She's back there. She's hiding back there with, with Mark. But, but man, what a, again, listen, hey, I'm, I'm not a social media guy. I'm not. I, I mean, WhatsApp was a big deal for me. As a matter of fact, I thought it was social media to one of the Kaya kids like, corrected me with scorn, like, dude, what are you thinking? That's not social media. I'm like, it's not? Like, I'm socializing with people? Like, how is that not social media? You're laughing. Is it not social media? It's social, it's not media. Okay. So I feel like I just qualified myself for that progressive commercial. (laughs) Have you seen those? 
maybe I should be there. Because I'm the guy that I'm curious. I'm like, so what is hashtagging? I, really, I have no clue. I'm, I have no clue what it means to hashtag. I honestly, I have no clue. I'm open to learn, though, but I have no idea. Okay, thank you. But on WhatsApp, man, that, that's where uh, prayer requests are frequently shared. Typically what happens is, is there's something going on and somebody puts out a request and then what will happen is, is, man, you'll see just a flood of responses. Praying, 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 praying. What people are saying is, is I'm interceding. I'm interceding. Now, I'll just tell you, I, I usually don't reply a whole lot. I don't want you to take that as I'm disinterested. Um, what I will do sometimes, depending on the situation, I will actually, because again, I'm going to date myself here, I'll actually pick up the phone and call the person. Hey, I just want to follow up with you, everything okay, and then we can do that sort of thing. Uh, but I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm just, oh, he doesn't care. No, I, I'm watching. <laughs> I have to, it's part of my job. So, But Peter was in bonds once and was as good as dead. But look at the intercessory response by the church. Acts 12, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Man, you should know that whenever the church is praying, God is moving. May not see it right away, but God is listening, and he does respond. Now, to their discredit, uh, when they were praying here in Acts, they weren't praying from a place of full faith, um, but God did respond to the faith that they prayed with. And he responded in a great way and gave us one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament. Paul himself requested prayer while he was in bonds, including or included in his closing of Colossians that we are in. He says in the last verse of chapter 4, remember my bonds. Pray for me. Remember me. His imprisonment at Rome could have easily ended with him being executed. And it could have ended for Peter in the same way. It was serious. Now listen, intercessory prayer is an expression of spiritual maturity because it is selfless prayer. It's selfless. Intercessory prayer is not about you and me. It's not about us going to God with a personal interest all the time and saying, God, I'm not thinking about me. I'm putting myself aside. I need to pray for my brother. I need to pray for my sister. I need to pray for my church. I need to pray for my coworker. I need to pray for my neighbor. One of the reasons, listen, one of the reasons that believers don't exercise intercessory prayers because they're just too immature. They're so self-absorbed, they're so wrapped up into their lives, they're so focused on them that they can't imagine sacrificing quality time away from them to actually go to God for someone else. So guess what? If you're not a believer who regularly practices intercessory prayer, that doesn't bode well for your spiritual state. You're actually immature. Because selfless praying says, man, I, I, I've got to, you're like, man, you guys probably watched this a few times, right? 
Like, is he going to trip? <laughs> no. <laughs> Every week there's something, isn't it? Last week it was a microphone. This week it's the rug. Bring it on. <laughs> but are you guys tracking with me? Yeah. Intercessory prayer, it says a lot about who we are. Now, this next point is something that actually compels us to pray for others. Look at the verse again. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. So we have a responsibility to identify with others in adversity. It's our responsibility, not just to intercede, but to identify. So to remember them that are in bonds as bound with them is to so identify with their suffering as if we ourselves were also in bonds right next to them. Like, I'm there with you. I'm feeling what you're feeling. I'm identifying with your struggle. I'm identifying with your pain. I'm identifying with your adversity. I'm in it with you. Now, this is very, very important, especially if we are, if we think we are mature. But listen, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ does not have the option to not care. It's not an option. I, I, I don't get to not care about my brother Paul. I don't get to not care about my brother or my sister that's going through a difficult time. I, 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 I don't get to say, well, too bad, so sad, God will get him through it. You know what? That's one of the things that really separates true, authentic, biblical Christianity from religion. If you were in a religious environment, if you went to a religious church, I mean, let's just be honest. You can go to that place for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, never know anybody or what anybody is dealing with, struggling with. You have no clue. But true, authentic, biblical Christianity says, man, if you're hurting, I'm hurting. You're struggling, I'm struggling. You're down, I'm down with you. Romans 12.5, or 12.15 Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Hey, one of the things that I'm always careful to say, uh, particularly to, from a leadership perspective and those that I am very fortunate and privileged to work with at the leadership level, I am very careful to remind everybody, hey, listen, <laughs> uh, your failure is not my success. And your success is never a threat to me. If you win, we win. If you lose, we lose. I'm only for you. Only for you. <laughs> First Corinthians 12, 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, we're right there with you. Now, this is important. To identify with others in adversity, we must love people. <laughs> You'll never identify with someone if you don't love them. And if you don't love them, that means you don't care. If the only pain and suffering and adversity 
you can identify with is yours and no one else's, that's an indictment against your spiritual state. It means that you have not matured, you have not grown to care or think beyond yourself. As Sam would often say, you're a me monster. I'm sure I didn't do that justice the way Sam would do it, right? If you can shrug off what others are dealing with and going through, please hear this. You and God are miles apart. If you can get news that someone has, has, has suffered some type of malady, some type of whatever, and you can just roll over, oh, okay, I'll just see what happens tomorrow. Or let, let me just get back to whatever I'm doing. <laughs> you and God are galaxies apart. Consider the heart of Jesus from John 11 regarding the death of Lazarus, John 11, 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then what? Jesus wept. The King of kings, Lord of lords, God almighty and human flesh wept. What's happening there? He was identifying with their hurt. He was identifying with their pain. Some are so academic biblically that they are emotionally cold. How awful is that? That there are some believers who are essentially doctrinal scholars. But they can't identify with the aches and pains and hurts and sufferings and hardship of others. That's not the heart of Christ. Jesus wept. This was the issue with Job's friends. Instead of trying to identify with his pain and suffering, what did they do? They were so determined. What have you done? Come on, give it up. Tell us. The man has just lost everything. And they want to get to the bottom of what did you do to cause this? Do you understand that sometimes, there are times, and this is something that we'll have to learn, there are times where all we need to do is just be there with someone. I'm not there to fix it. I, I, I don't, I'm not there to preach at you. I just need to sit with you. I need to follow up with you for a season, just regularly. I just want you to know I'm with you. I want you to know I'm for you. I want you to know I'm here. I'm just here. And I'm talking, but I'm talking to God about you. I'm interceding. <laughs> if you are indifferent about the people in this room, I can't tell you how concerning that is. If you are indifferent about the people in this church, I can't tell you how concerning that is. Here's why. Look at 1 John 3, 14. 
We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. At a minimum, if you are indifferent toward the people in this room, if you could take them or leave them, if you could care less about what's happening or not happening in their life, at a minimum, you're not a true disciple. At a minimum. If you're the type where you can just walk in here on a Sunday and you've got a very specific interest, okay, man, I like, I like the preaching, I like the music, and once that's done, I'm in and out, I don't want to talk to anybody, don't talk to me, I won't talk to you, don't get into my life, I don't want to get in yours, I'm in and out. That's not a true disciple. Far from it. You get, how do you say that? Well, it's simple. What did Jesus say? How is the world going to know that we are his disciples? How? Love one another. Is that, can you say you love the people in this room when if your approach is, I'm just going to get in, get what I want, hear what I want, and as soon as, as a matter of fact, do, when Sam is praying with an invitation, I just make a point to slide out. Because I don't want to deal with anybody. That's not a disciple. Don't kid yourself. We're a family. We wrap up. Back to verse 3. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. We have a responsibility to internalize the adversity of others. Paul said, as being yourselves also in the body. In other words, we are not exempt from the adversity that others are going through. We're not. Have you ever found yourself going through something that at one point you were praying for someone who was going through that? Exactly. You're not exempt. Whenever I visit someone in the hospital, or as I have found myself a few times along the way, standing bedside as someone is taking their last breath in this life, I internalize that. Not only could that be me, one day it's going to be. It's going to be. You have to internalize that. I've been on the receiving end over the years, just like some of you have, where I learned that there is a pastor who has been unfaithful to God by being unfaithful to his wife. I hate those. It's terrible. But every time I do the math and I go, I'm just as weak. 
My flesh is no more stronger than his. The flesh is weak. I don't, oh, how could he? I know how he could do it. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Was this not Peter's issue? Though all men be offended, not me, I would never. Jesus said, uh, you're about to find out just how weak you are, man. See, when you think you cannot fall is when you are sure to fall. And one of the things that protect you from falling is knowing that you can. Listen. When Paul in Philippians chapter 3, when he says, we put no confidence in the flesh, or I put no confidence in the flesh, I'm like, I get it now. One of the worst mistakes that some people make, it's a very foolish mistake, is they actually put confidence in themselves. I can And the Bible tells you in Psalm 118 that it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. That includes yourself. If I'm counting on me, I've already sealed it, man. I'm going to blow it hard. But I know I can fall. I know I can. See, this is one of the things, let me tell you, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this more next week. We will actually get to the life vision next week. But I'm going to tell you, okay, and I'll give you a little snapshot. This, this will be part of where we're going next week. But I know for a fact, I, I've been doing this one enough to know, I know for a fact there are some of you in this room, and there are some in this church. You know what? When it comes to your devotional life, you're like, you're like the best roller coaster at an amusement park. You're up and down all over the place. You'll read your Bible tomorrow, and then God might see you in three weeks from then. You pray really good today, but then the next four or five days, life just happens, and God's like, uh, hello? Do you know why you do that? Let me tell you why you do that. You do that because you've not come to the place where you recognize how weak and desperate you are. You really believe, even if it's subconscious, you really believe you can make it on your own. That's why you do that. I don't need to pray. I don't need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what he has to say to me. And and then it gets even more interesting is... It's not just that we're doing that. Listen, we're talking about husbands and wives and fathers and mothers who are going days and, God forbid, weeks without quality time with Christ. How can you be a godly husband? How can you be a godly wife? How can you be a godly mother? How can you be a godly father when you haven't spent quality time with Jesus Christ in months Man, listen, guys, I'm desperate. I'm 
can't afford, listen, please hear me. Have you done the math on your adversary? Have you? Do you understand the devil doesn't take days off? You might. He doesn't. David took a day off, didn't he? Did temptation take a day off? No. I can take the head. So. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, we too are liable to be tempted and fall. So when we internalize the adversity of others, it moves us to intercede because we know, Lord, someday that could be me. Lord, someday that will be me. So I want to pray for that person how I would want to be prayed for when I'm in that spot. Amen? Lord, I want to thank you for how clear your word is. I do believe that whenever it is open, you speak to us, Lord. I do pray that we would receive what we've heard today and act on it today, right now, not tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.